Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Watching thereunto. You know, the watchmen used to watch the city walls at night and keep an eye on the gate. And the captain of the guard, he would have cried out, watchman, what of the night? And he would have got the reply, all clear, or if the enemy was coming, he would have informed him of that. And you know, as we enter these last days, we need to ask, watchman, what of the night? And as we look around us, we see the world is falling apart. Economically, things are going to go, get worse and worse and worse. Businesses are going to close. People are going to lose out on a lot of things. Wars are going to continue. And we know eco-disasters are going to continue. So the coming of the Lord draws near. And so what should we do? What are we being told from God's Word? What is the warning from the walls protecting God's people? We go into Ephesians 6 again. We look at 13 and 14. Take on to you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now the word stand in this exhortation from Paul, it means to stand for the Lord. It means to be courageous, and we're going to have to be courageous. And the church in these last days is going to have to make a stand. And we have to be standing on the Word of God despite any obstacles that may come our way. We've got to remember, Paul, although speaking to us today through the Word of the Lord in the last days, was initially speaking to the church, which were being persecuted, which were being martyred for their faith. And he's telling them to stand, to stand. And this is not Paul encouraging hate speech. This is not Paul encouraging people to be troublemakers or rebels or rebel rousers. But he's asking men and women of God to refuse to compromise their faith, to compromise their stance on the Word of God, no matter what they may come against. You know, as we finished last week's study, I said that the world is lining up for the end of the world with wars, eco-disasters, and all sorts of disasters. But you know something? We know that the Lord, as we looked at last week, will step in and he will save his people. We read from Matthew 24, 21, and 22. 
For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there shall be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And so we have confidence this morning that the body of Christ, the church, should during this time, instead of being fearful, certainly be concerned. Because it's going to affect us all. The eco disasters is going to affect us. The economic downfall is going to affect us. Wars are going to affect us. So we should be concerned, but not fearful. But we should look up because our redemption draws near. For me in the world today, there is a great challenge going against God and his people. And it's going both internally and externally. You know, it's a, a well-known fact that when wishing to bring in, a government wishes to bring in an agenda, for example, or, or something which is not popular with the people, they wait until there's a major event going on, and then they slip it in unnoticed. And there was a lot of that going on in Europe and even in our own wee t- uh, country, Northern Ireland, with so much things going on around us, unnoticed things are changing, and we need to be aware, and we need to be watchmen of the night. So in these last days, the church faces opposition from without and sometimes sadly from within. So what is this opposition, and, and what is the world trying to, att- to attack? Well, I believe today the Bible is being attacked And it's being treated as an antique piece of literature which has no relevance for today. But you see, the Bible is relevant for today. The Bible was relevant. The inspired Word of God was relevant in the Apostles' Day. It was relevant in the Old Testament days. And it's relevant today. It's relevant for all generations. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul, mentoring this young man, Timothy, said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That means that every line in the Bible, every word is profitable for the body of Christ. It's profitable for the young. It's profitable for the old. It's profitable for the married, for the single. It's profitable for the new convert. And it's certainly profitable for the long-time Christian. And Paul said it is profitable for reproof and correction. And as our brother prayed this morning, we, we take that. Well, hopefully we take that. When the Lord corrects us through his word, reproves us through his word, that's okay. We want the Lord's instructions. As Christians, we want to live as the Lord wants us to live. It is profitable for instruction in righteousness. It shows us the way that we should live. We should be as Christ, loving, forgiving, and accepting as we were by him. And although we're we're not perfect and won't be until uh, until the Lord comes back, but we endeavor to do our best to live for the Lord. It is profitable for instruction in righteousness. God's word can show us, as I've said, how we live, how we can endeavor to be holy and acceptable unto the Lord. Not vile and unacceptable with the world, but holy and acceptable to the Lord. But it's also profitable for doctrine. And this, for some Christians uh, and the world, is ignored. It's brushed under the carpet. 
You know, I know personally some ministers, and they've openly said to me that they will not teach or preach doctrine because they don't want to lose anyone, they don't want to offend anyone. They won't preach righteous living and following God's guidelines. Church, doctrine is important. Within Christianity, it should not be divisive. Christians should agree to disagree. Because after all, at the end of the day, and please, if you hear nothing else, I say, listen to this. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ which saves us from our sins, not our doctrine. We in the churches of God, we are historists. We are oneness believers. We believe in what is termed soul sleep. And we believe that the lost ten tribes of Israel, or so-called lost ten tribes of Israel, are located today in the Isles of the Sea. And these beliefs that we have and these beliefs that we teach, they're not requirements for membership. I remember when I was first saved and came to the churches of God and I was invited to the church of a friend of mine. I'm not going to say which church it is because I'm not attacking the church. But when they heard I was from the church of God, they near enough asked me to leave. So back then, doctrine was a requirement, maybe it still is for some churches, for membership. But you know, church, we're blessed in this church because we have Trinitarians who are members of this church who believe that, we have those who believe that when you die, you go to heaven. They may disagree with other points that we have, but you know something? They are valuable members and loved members, loved as much as any other member. We don't set out to offend anyone in our teaching, but church, we will stand firm in the great truths that the Lord has revealed to us. We're not trying to offend anyone, but we will stand for those truths and won't compromise those truths. You know, there are those who also want to change the Bible to fit in today, uh, into today's society and their lusts and their desires. There are people today who want to rewrite the Bible. But you know something? As this overhead of God for you says, God isn't going to rewrite the Bible just for your generation. His word remains the same forever and always. The word of the Lord endures forever. And the Lord is not going to change his word to suit mankind. We must teach what the Bible teaches and not try to change it. The church does not determine what the Bible teaches. The Bible determines what the church must teach. And we must teach the word of God as it is in love and in mercy and seeking restoration, but standing as we were exhorted to from our reading from the Apostle Paul. You know, Martin Luther, he said, our faith must have a sure foundation, God's word, and not the sand of human custom and inventions. You see, the world is trying to change the word of God, trying to rewrite the Bible, trying to leave out the things which the world finds offensive. You know, this is a vast subject on its own. So I can only give you some examples. And this, these examples, actually, for time's sake, you can watch this later, and you can copy that. And it's removing verses, and all them verses you see on the screen, they have all been, they're in the King James, they've been removed from the NIV, the NASV, the NCV, the NSRV, and the RSV. Removed with no explanation. 
And you see, in my simple mind, I want to know why. And if you look these verses up, hopefully you will do your own research later. It will amaze you, and you'll have that question, why did they take that out? Why did they leave that out? One verse I will show you is 1 Corinthians. I can, you can see that better than me. That's good. 1 Corinthians 5 and 1. According to the New American Standard Bible, this immorality does not even exist among the Gentiles. There's a comparison, church, and look at it. The King James says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. But according to the NASB, it is actually reported there's immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist, even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. Why is that changed? It's, a, it, it's changed because it's a denial of man's weakness and man's sin, I believe. You see, some tell us that these changes are not important. Some try to tell us they are differences of opinions among the translators. Well, I refute that strongly because they're deliberate attempts to corrupt the precious word of the Lord. Ephesians 2 and 20 tells us you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Sorry, I'm going on to another subject there. Through Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. And so this is God's precious word, letting us know that Jesus is indeed the cornerstone. The King James Bible, compared to the NIV, the King James Bible said, Jesus saith unto them, Did you ever read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same is the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. If you look at the NIV, it says, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stones which the builders rejected has become the capstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And you know, within the NIV, you believe that there's 64,000 words removed from that Bible. And I think it's in Ephesians, it goes on to show us that Jesus is indeed the cornerstone. The capstone is a stone that was on top of the pyramids, and it's referred to as the eye. It contained the eye of Horus. Jesus is not the capstone. He is the firm foundation, cornerstone of the church. And there's many other verses. Uh, I said a number of years ago that a particular Bible was being printed. Well, there you are. That is a copy. It's not a copy. It's a picture, actually. I haven't got a copy of it, of the Queen James Bible. And you can buy that on Amazon. And it's deleted all references to homosexuality. So they're trying to change the word of the Lord. We could go on, as I've said, this would be a study on its own, but we haven't much time, and I want to cover a couple of subjects. Also in changing the word of God, they're trying to change salvation. You see, the world believes today that there are many roads to Christ. And social media and the media in general promote this. Many famous people are used to promote this. Oprah Winfrey said, I'm a Christian who believes that there are certainly more paths to God other than Christianity. The world is trying to promote this. There is even the thought that men can save themselves. There we have, I'll have to turn here and read it. The meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. That is what the world is teaching. 
What we need to do, church, is to let the world know that salvation is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. I spoke to the folks last Sunday night, and I was telling them I was listening to a pastor from Texas. And he said that many churches today, they forget the R word when they're trying to reach out to people. They forget the R word. What is the R word? Well, we go into Acts 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see, church salvation is more than just believing. And, and I have said from this pul- pulpit, uh, and I should maybe have explained it better, that all you have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, in a sense, is true. But there's more to it than that. You must, men need to repent. You need to turn from your sinful ways. You can't just say, pray the, the, the sinner's prayer, claim to be a Christian, and live as you were living. You need to repent. We can't tell people they're saved, and it's okay to continue on. We are doing them a great disservice. And more importantly, we are ignoring the inspired Word of God. We need to let people know today that there is forgiveness. There is salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a part that we have to play, and the part that we have to play won't earn our salvation. Because we always say that salvation produces good works. Good works do not produce salvation. And what we have to to, to do to, to show our difference is we have to repent. We have to turn from the ways we used to live. For some, it's hard, but God will strengthen them and see them through. For some, it's a process. For some, it's an immediate conversion as such that that once they're saved, they, they, they just feel God's presence. And they're through their conviction, they indeed turn from their ways. Church, we need to remember the R word. We could fill this place with people if we told them all you need to do is believe and it's okay to do what you want. We could fill this place in a couple of weeks, maybe even have to have two services. But we are doing them a great disservice and we're ignoring the inspired word of God if we do that. Then there is the corruption of the innocent. In September 2017, I give a sermon. I called it Reclaiming Our Children. And I would recommend that you go back and listen to it. I was listening to it myself. I don't know actually if it's on our website, but if it's not and you want to hear it, we'll get it printed off for you. But then I spoke of a man called Antonio Francesco Gramsci. He was an Italian Marxist theorist and politician. Now, if I asked you to speak, tell me, sorry, someone uh, from a communist background who'd be famous, I would guarantee you, you'd say Karl Marx, Lenin, all those boys. But you know, this guy had a greater influence, I believe, on society than Lenin or Marx ever did. He wrote the political theory, sociology, Linguistics. He was a founding member and a one-time leader of the Communist Party of Italy. He was imprisoned by Benito Mussolini, uh, by that fascist regime. But this man is best known for what is called the theory of cultural hegemony, or what I call cultural communism. And this cultural communism, it propagates its own values and norms as they become the, the common sense values 
of all and thus maintain the status quo. In other words, they want to, to teach this. They want to integrate these things into society so that one society doesn't even know it's changed and there'll be no opposition. No one will know. We need to look at some of the things again as Gramsci believed and said. He said, socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity. There's this attack, Christianity. In the new order, socialism will triumph by first capturing the culture, listen to, via the infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media by transforming the consciousness of society. So according to Gramsci, if he can do this, socialism will triumph capturing the culture via the infiltration of schools. The infiltration of universities, the infiltration of churches, the media, and mostly through transforming the consciousness of society. In other words, changing the minds of society, that those things that once society, society would have rejected are now become the norm. And anyone that speaks against them is not normal, or indeed, you'll get a negative label of being homophobic, Islamophobic, xenophobic and every other phobic they can think of. This communism, as I've said, is better known as uh, cultural communism. And you know what? I'm going to give you some more quotes from this guy, and it's fascinating as you look about the world today and see how much of an influence this man has had. He said, What comes to pass does not so much... Does not so, does so not so much because a few people want it to happen as because the mass of citizens abdicate their responsibility to let things be. Why? Because a mass of citizens abdicate their responsibility to let things be. When good men are silent, evil triumphs, church. Who does he target? Before puberty, the child's personality has not yet formed. And it is easier to guide its life and make it acquire specific habits of order, discipline, and work. Again, it is easier to guide its life and make it acquire specific habits of order, discipline, and work. You see, church, this cultural communism, this world, it wants to take over your child's education. As we look in a moment, it wants to make abortion the normal. They refer to an unborn baby as a fetus. They want to make same-sex marriage as normal. They honor thy father and thy mother. They're trying to take away. They're telling young children that uh, individual, what they call individualism. In other words, self-love and self-respect is more important. It's loving yourself. You need to love yourself first. I said this the other week. Before you can consider loving others. Genderism. This is a copy I'm going to show you of a page in a book which is used in some schools regarding abortion. And it's the same book I quoted from the other week. And hopefully you can see it. That is a book. Did you see the heading on that page? This is what children are being given. How to kill a baby in the womb. 
Young children are being given this. Now look at that last task that they're given. Finish this sentence. It's okay to kill a baby in the womb when. Now thankfully, the area where I was brought the attention of this, that area in America has had this book removed from their school, but it had been in there seven years, and there are other schools using it. Church, this is the world. Thank God they're not in our schools yet, but don't say they won't, church. They will if we don't stand. Stand in love, but stand for the truth. There's many other things we could, uh, roads we could go down and talk about. The, 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 the unity of the family. How they're trying to destroy it. You know, the mother, the father, the, wife, uh, the, the children. Uh, radical feminism, where they attack the words that are used, that we've used for years to describe our women. Mother. Now, a mother, they want to call a birth person. A wife, they do not want to use that because according to them, a wife is a slave and they do not want to be slaves. And they use this term, this politically correct term, as they don't want to be labeled. But yet they're quite happy to label you and I if we disagree with them. Church, we need to stand. But in what way do we stand? How can we counteract this move? I believe we can counteract it from the Word of God and by seeking a Holy Ghost revival, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You see, a church that believes you do not need the Holy Ghost and spiritual gifts should not be used in churches is a church that is dead. It's a stagnant pool and it'll just rot away to nothing. God's people need the Holy Ghost if we want to see people saved. Because you see, church, listen to what's being said before you make a judgment here. It's not our job to convert people. It's not our job to save people. It's not our job to convict people. It's not our job to convince people. It's our job to tell people. The convincing, convicting, converting, and saving is the work of the Holy Ghost. You can be the greatest orator in the planet speaking to people and you will not convert them unless the anointing of the Holy Ghost comes upon them and convicts them of their sin. The church needs the Holy Ghost. God's people need the Holy Ghost. If we want to know God better and get closer to Him, there's no better teacher than the Holy Spirit. There's no better teacher than the Spirit of God. And the infilling of the Holy Ghost and the move of God, we need to be careful. Because it, <clears throat> we want a genuine move of God. And this will come when there is genuine, effectual, fervent prayer. We want a mighty Holy Ghost revival. Because church, I believe it is the only thing that will turn the hearts of men and women and our nation today. We're not going to do it on our own. We're just going to get battered and bruised, as they say. But when the Holy Ghost moves, nothing can stand against it.
When the Spirit of God moves, nothing can stand against the church. I want a Holy Ghost revival. I want to see this land turned around for the Lord. I want to see people turn from their ways and turn to the Lord for salvation. I don't want to see people heading to a lost eternity. I don't want to see people's lives destroyed. Church, it genuinely breaks my heart. Gene and I were in town during the week there. And in front of us, there was three young people high as a kite, absolutely high as a kite. And they're homeless uh, with respect. You could smell them a mile away. And I was so sad to watch them. Two young men and a, a, a nice-looking young girl, although she's destroyed herself with these drugs. That's what's happening in our city's church. We need a mighty Holy Ghost revival for these young people to be turned around, for these young people to be helped off these drugs, you know, I say this as a, as a counselor. All the counseling training and psychology training I, I've had won't get these people off drugs. But you know something? The conviction of the Holy Ghost and the power of God to overcome our adversities will deliver them. So church, we need the move of God. But you know something? Here, this is important. And this is why some people don't want the move of God. Because of the false moves that we see in the world today. We don't want a, a, a false attention-seeking move of God. I think it was a brother Charlie McClure said, the only people you see in the Bible lying in the ground, trembling and screaming are those who are getting demons cast out of them. Anybody filled with the Holy Ghost is speaking in tongues and delivered and rises up and lifts up their bed and walks. We don't want a false anointing. You know, we need the move of God. We don't want the false anointing of the Holy Ghost. We want a genuine one, but it needs prayer. It says there has been great awakenings without elegant preachers, great revivals without established organizations. Listen to this, church. Please listen. But we will never see a revival without much, much prayer without much, much prayer. This is what we want, church, a mighty revival from God, a mighty outpouring from the Lord, turning men's hearts back to him. And speaking about the false anointings, this is not what we want. And if you read it, I'll have to turn to this one. The Holy Ghost will not get you to stop, drop, and roll. Normally have you woof like a dog, meow like a cat, moo like a cow, oink like a pig. God is not going to make you behave like a wild animal or give you a holy orgasm. This is the work of demonic spirits. Church, that's not what we want. That is not what we want. We want a mighty revival where there's a genuine move of God, where there's a genuine desire in God's people. Church, look, God admires our efforts and what we endeavor to do to reach people and the things that we use. We use them with the right context. God blesses us for it. But you know something? They will not achieve anything unless the anointing of the Lord is upon us. Unless the anointing of the Lord is in the house of the Lord because it is the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's not my great singing it's not my great preaching. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. 
And we want the anointing of God at every service. We want the anointing of God in our Sunday school this morning. We want the anointing of God in our youth church this morning. We want the anointing of God tonight in our service. We want to see God move. William Booth, a man greatly respected throughout the world and the founder of the Salvation Army, he said the chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Church, we need a move of God. We're not defeated. We're on the Lord's side. Amen? We're on the Lord's side. You know, there's some and they're, they're afraid. I know of a, a, a branch of churches and they, they all come in and they lock the door and no one else can come into their service. They don't want the world to come in and destroy them. They're a fearful of the world. Church, greater is he that is in us than that which challenges us. We are mighty in God, and he will give us the victory when we genuinely turn to him in prayer and fasting. When we genuinely seek the face of the Lord. When we give the Lord all of our our lives. When we love the Lord with all our heart, with all our strength, with all our mind. You see, we can't say, Lord, I love you with all my heart. I love you with all my strength. I love you with all my mind. Lord, I want you to take my life and use it, but I'll not be out tonight because I'm not keen on Peter. What do you think the Lord was? was The Lord, I mean, seriously, what do you think? If you, the Lord came back tonight and you're sitting in the house and the Lord said, why are you not in the house of the Lord? Um, I guarantee you're not telling me you don't like Peter. Come on, God's house is God's house. And don't tell the Lord you love him if you're not in his house. Don't tell the Lord you love him if you're not praying. Don't tell the Lord you want him to use you if you're not on your knees. Don't tell the Lord you'd love to see the move of God in our church if you're not praying and fasting and seeking it. Come on, let's be genuine this morning, church. People will tell you it just comes like that. Just ask for it. It doesn't. Look at any revival. A couple of women sitting in a house, they weren't sitting there for 10 minutes. They were there for months on end, if not years. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. Church, we need the move of God today. As I've said, there's many aspects that I believe the, the, the body of Christ is being attacked and undermined. The word of God is being undermined. And they're trying to steal the hearts and minds of, of this generation. You know something? The world has given up on me because I'm a dinosaur. The world knows they're not going to change me. I've been through too much to know that I can trust in God. They're not going to convince me, but they're going to try and convince my children. They're going to try and turn the hearts of my grandchildren. They're going to make my grandchildren think that evil is good, that is normal. And I want to do something about it, church, because I don't want to see lives destroyed. I want to see people restored I want to see people worshiping and praising the Lord. I want to see every church in Belfast, in fact, Northern Ireland, filled to capacity with people wanting to see and seek the face of the Lord. 
How will it come, church, in these last days? By a mighty Holy Ghost revival. Okay, the musicians come back. You know, I'm not one of these ones that says, you know, there's going to be a falling away. There's no doubt the Word of God says that. But I believe there's going to be a mighty revival before the Lord turns, returns. And I want to be part of that revival, church. Amen. And that revival will come. When will it come? When we in unity, that's the big word too, in unity, come together, seek the face of the Lord, seek for revival and worship it. Lord, I want to praise his name. Come on, let's end there. Let's stand in his presence. And come on, let's worship the Lord.